1: www.smallbusinessdigest.net. Our first guest is Lauren Rickland. Uh, uh, Lauren, a book which I found absolutely fascinating is You Raised Us, uh, Now Work With Us. And uh, it's a recurring problem in today's world as we tend to blend generations. So, Lauren, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: We always ask our um, guests to first say a little bit about themselves personally before we get into what I think will be one of our more exciting uh, topics.
2: Well, thank you so much, of course. well, I, I uh, the the quick summary is that I have been a practicing lawyer up until a few years. Um, for quite some time, I was a partner in a law firm focusing uh, in environmental law and mediation, and um, but through it all, had a real passion and interest in. Uh, women's leadership and advancement. And I wrote a book called Ending the Gauntlet, Removing Barriers to Women's Success in the Law while I was practicing. And following that, did a lot of speaking around the country when the book came out. And was uh, realized that I was ready to make a transition in my career based on how much I loved speaking about the issues and writing about them as well. And I made the leap to lead my firm, create my own entity called the Rick Clean Institute for Strategic Leadership. I affiliated with Boston College as an executive in residence at the Boston College Center for Work and Family, where I have been doing research, uh, speaking, training on issues regarding women's leadership and advancement and, as well as unconscious bias but also spent the last several years working on and finally completing this book on millennials in the workplace, this younger generation, and um, I was driven to do that by so much of the negative commentary that I would hear as I was uh, speaking and training um, over a number of years about young people in the workplace today, and that just led me to this um, real fascination on the topic.
1: Okay. Well, first, let's def- we throw that word "millennials" around a lot. How do you define it?
2: Sure. So millennials um, are well. Just one quick asterisk here. They're defined by I, I, you know somewhere some some demographers somewhere create these definitions, and I've seen for this particular generation birth years that start around 1978, 1980, 82. For my book, I chose 78 because that was the one I had seen more commonly used um, over the last several years. Um, But at any rate, I used 1978 to 2000. And I think that 2000 marker is where the millennials phrase comes from. And you also hear this particular generation referred to as Gen Y. Very poorly named, but I think that came out of them following Gen X, which is the generation in between the Boomers and the Millennials.
1: Well, we we have all these terms and we throw them around casually, but I seldom heard it uh, better explained than you just did. Uh, well, thank, thank you. you. Uh, uh, one thing I like about this program, I always learn something new, <laughs> but now, okay. uh, Let's get into the topic, but let me frame it uh, a little bit uh, differently. Um, one of the things, you know, our audience are small business leaders, and they uh, they tell us increasingly um, that one of their big problems is that they can't, um, uh, the next generation doesn't want to follow them into the family business. And... Uh, Uh, In fact, right now we have more businesses for sale than at any other time in American history. So, um, And this is the younger generation. um, That's the framework uh, that I kind of – and, you know, they simply don't want their their parents' business, which is 24-7 is the best explanation we've been able to get. But let's talk about your book, which uh, you overnighted to me, and I spent half the night reading last night. Um, what, what are your conclusions? We've raised them. Um, how do we? What's the problem, and what's the solution?
2: Sure. So the, the um, interestingly, the title "You Raised Us Now, Work with Us" came from a millennial while. Uh, um, uh, I, I was talking about what would be a good title that can capture uh, really the, the, the sense of disconnects and stereotypes around this generation. Um, and what what happens, what I find happens is that we baby boomers, I say we, me, um, we've raised this generation and we've raised them to be uh, self-confident, to go out and see what they want in the world and um, we've helped them solve their problems and we've done uh, you know we've supported them and and, and, and been friends to them and um, sent them out into the world to be strong and confident and and yet once they get into the workplace these qualities that we raise them with are driving people in the workplace crazy um, including the same parents who who (laughs) you know who raised their own kids with these qualities. So so I wanted to explore why is that? What what is happening that we can behave one way at home with our millennial children and not make the connection in the workplace to the qualities that we actually created. And that's the thesis kind of for for what I was trying to accomplish and what I explored. And what I found is that essentially what happens is that qualities that millennials have in the workplace are simply mischaracterized and misunderstood. One of the biggest ones, for example, is this notion that I hear all the time, we read about all the time, oh, they're so, they think they're so entitled. And really what I, what I conclude is that, no, it's not a sense of entitlement, but it is a very strongly built-in sense of self-confidence and self-respect and that can be off-putting to other generations in the workplace and it it sets up this barrier um, and through through which i think a lot of other stereotypes become even even more hardened
1: well um it's interesting you put it that way to me, the thing that seems to uh, to permeate the people, the young people I see in this generation is their sense that they expect to get it all now, and they don't really want to work for it, and they want it handed to. Them. Um,
2: well, and and that's um, I think that is a, a summary of another. Um, set of stereotypes that we see, and it probably ties in some to the very interesting information you were providing about the that small business shift where um, younger people are not wanting to take over stay involved and take over the family business um, in the same way perhaps in the past and I think part of it isn't uh, what I have concluded at least is that it 's not that they want it all now, but it is that they want to see where they're going they don't um, They don't like to be in a workplace where nothing is transparent, where they don't see how they're going to get ahead, where perhaps the training opportunities are not there for them in the way that they feel they should be. They do have clear expectations, um, and, and when you think about it, about it so many uh, millennials have been on this path to success by parents who have been driving that bus for a long time, and then when they get into the workplace, it's, there's a sense of, well, wait a minute, i'm not getting the training i I, I would like to get i don 't understand how I get to the next position. People don't give me the feedback that i've been getting my entire life i I only hear you know in, annually uh, at a review how i 'm doing so what is, what is in it for me by staying in this workplace and I think that the their expectations around um Transparency and having a clearer pathway ahead do impact this. How long they're willing to stay um, without some sense of of the of the end game for them?
1: Well, uh, as one editor once said to me, uh, "What you get is the right to keep your job." Um, <laughs> you know,
2: but we, but, but again. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point, and in this economy, I do think a lot more millennials feel that way, perhaps, than they did, you know, prior to 2008, but, again, keep in mind that um, more than any other generation, and and, and it is important to note that when you talk about any generation, we're generalizing, of course. We're not speaking about the entire population, but we're talking about patterns, but I just want to... Put that little asterisk there because it is important to understand that you can't possibly characterize the 86 million people that make up the population of millennials in this country. But having said that, um, yes, you can say you have the right to keep your job and in a poor economy, that's, that's no, no small matter. But this is also large, for a lot of um, kids in this generation were raised to believe that a job should be something you care about, that you're passionate about, that you want to do and get excited about doing. So when you're raised to pursue your dreams, then you get in the workplace. It makes sense that you want to pursue your, your goals and your aspirations. And if you don't see... Much hope of things changing. If you're in in a negative situation or you're not not feeling challenged enough in your work, um, it becomes more understandable as to why the then people will leave. Younger people will leave.
1: Well, uh, there's no question uh, that this generation seems much more entrepreneurial and willing to leave position than. generation uh, I have to tell you I'm over sixty five and I, I'm the the uh, uh, the war baby generation and uh, um, uh, you know the, w- w- growing up if you got a job uh, you were you were happy and and the expectation was that you would stay there for for, for your whole working life uh, but that is not the case I think I read a statistic that where uh, the average was seven jobs. For my generation, it's 14 jobs for this generation, 14 different companies. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. That's why I invited you on the program. I'm not being uh, – um, I don't want to seem as if I'm being uh, antagonistic. I'm just trying to uh, – uh, you have so, so much to say. I want to make sure uh, uh, we get some more of it out. What other characteristics have you found? Uh, What other things should should we? We we now are the the leaders. Uh, 59% of my audience are either presidents and or owners. Uh, What should they be doing with this generation?
2: Well, I think they need to do things that are hard for this generation to do, Um, but it will be a golden retention tool if they can do it. Um, Millennials... Have always Growing up, their opinions mattered. They grew up in a, in a generation when it was like, you know, what do you want for lunch? Do you want tuna fish or peanut butter? Where do you want to go on vacation? What do you want to do about X, Y, or Z? Um, then they get into the workplace and they have things to say. They feel they have things to contribute and they want to be able to voice that. For older generations, that can be very off-putting. For boomers in particular, there's a sense of, wait a minute, there's a hierarchy here, you go through that hierarchy, or you earn the right to ask questions and and give your opinion. But um, for, for millennials, that's not a lack of respect that they're showing. It's their way of feeling like, I have things to contribute. And if we can get past that discomfort around... Seeking or taking suggestions or advice from somebody, you know, half our age or, you know, young enough to be our kid, then you get to a whole new world of possibilities because what millennials bring is a tremendous eye and capability around, of course, social media, technology, um, branding, and, and a whole different creative approach that, that can be brought to bear. I would suspect that if you were doing, if you were analyzing in a lot of these family businesses in which the, the youngest generation does not want to stay, it is because they're not being allowed to have the sense of ownership and um, engagement that they would want to have, notwithstanding that it's family. Um, and that that drives them out. So if we can think of in terms of engaging them, you don't have to take every suggestion, but, but listen to what they have to say. Um, giving feedback on an ongoing basis. I, I hear a lot of people in the workplace say, oh, they just want to be told how great they are. And in fact, that's really not true. They desperately want to learn on the job. And that means... That Yes, when they uh, they complete a a difficult assignment, um, they are hoping that you will tell them how they did or how they can improve. And so that's another uh, aspect that's important. Uh, Another thing is they don't have the same workplace savvy that other generations have coming into the workplace. You know, when we grew up, boomers grew up, for example, our parents had a much less degree of involvement in our lives. And we had to figure things out for ourselves from you know, childhood on, including college searches and everything else that now has become a little booming industry with people all around to guide them through it. So it is understandable that for millennials who have had people helping them solve their problems their entire lives, that when they get into the workplace, they need some extra guidance around being more um, comfortable taking risks learning how to problem solve um, in a way that maybe they haven't had to do in the past. And I think sometimes we misread those behaviors as, geez, they can't figure anything out or they don't want to even uh, work hard and solve a problem when it's more simply, I'm not sure how to do this or who I can even ask.
1: You know, that's one of the most profound and accurate statements I've heard in a long time. Because I deal, uh, I have a lot of interns in in, uh, in my company, and the uh, the quality varies. And the one thing that um, that they don't seem able to do is to ask when they when a problem presents itself. They simply yeah. try to fi- figure it out, and, and uh, without asking. And you know, what are we here for? But to help help them learn.
2: Right it but they have to feel that they can ask and that there's some receptivity if if they do ask and and sometimes it's it's not you know you have to knowing what question to ask is even a skill um, it, that that uh, that can be taught or needs to be taught sometimes
1: well, well give me another example. Um, uh, this is fascinating. And By the way, your book is fascinating. Uh, um, Thank you. Uh, uh, as I said, I spent up half the night reading it because I only received it yesterday, and I wanted oh. to, I love the title, You Raised Us, Now Work With Us. But give us something else.
2: Please. Um, I think that one of the other um, huge areas of disconnect has to do with this perception of whether millennials want to work hard or not. And, the way I characterize it is that they they do want to work hard, but they want to work smart. And in their world of values, um, work, family, personal health, and wellness are all important. Um, so they are not uh, – they want to be able to live a full and complete life, I think, they grew up looking at their parents who really are quite capable of running themselves into the ground with overwork. Um, boomers are notorious for their 24-7 work ethic, and I'm sure it has affected many, many a family dinner of millennials growing up and other aspects of their lives. Um, and I think they've looked at that and have come to a different conclusion about how to live a healthy, balanced life, at least as much as one can. And they also feel that technology allows them the opportunity to do that more than perhaps we could while, you know, we were building our careers. So it's very frustrating for them if they are in the workplace. And this, you know, in the survey that I, I surveyed over 1,000 millennials for this book, and had wonderful anecdotes and stories told to me and, and as part of this research for you raised us, now work with us, where um, millennials would, would talk about how they were not allowed to use technology to the fullest extent possible and um, would be required to... Uh, or asked to miss, you know, family events or friends' ma- weddings or whatever on weekends or working late at night where they felt there was an alternative. I never had uh, or saw any complaints in um, any of the survey data in which it said I had to deal with an emergency that was a legitimate emergency and I minded it, but I had tons of comments around these emergencies were, were created by someone else and I should not have had to pay for it by missing my, my friend's wedding in, a, in another state. So there's the notion that they just want to be able to work as smart as possible, use technology as effectively as possible, but still at the end of the day be able to go work out, be healthy, be home for dinner with their family.
1: Well, that's a, that's a tall order. I, I want you to, <laughs> it is indeed. <laughs> we, we have another guest on the line. Um, I, um, I would love for you to come back and, and continue this conversation sometime. Um, I'd be like so to try it
2: anytime. Absolutely. Well, because
1: I, I think you, you've uh, uh, certainly raised our interest. Uh, again, the name of your book is uh, You Raised Us and Now Work With Us. I'm donating it to the, our local library because I, I just think it's a book that um, – people should be uh, uh, reading, if, if you don't Execute. mind.
2: Thank you. No, I'm honored. No.
1: Thank you. Well, Lauren, thank you for being with us. And Thank you. Day, we're going to invite back. you back.
2: Thank you. You take care now. Thanks.
1: Our next guest is, I hope I pronounced his name right, Asaf Sidon, co-founder and CEO um of of a um, of a company that I I think we're uh, we are going to hear a lot about Asa, Asaf, are you on the line?
0: Yeah, I am. Hi, Don.
1: Am I pronouncing it correctly?
0: You pronounce it perfectly.
1: Well, I'm glad to that. It's one thing I forgot to do. We had a little emergency at the beginning of the show, so I didn't get a chance. Welcome to the program.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Well, first, we always ask, uh, and uh, I, I saw from some of the information that came across um, our desk, uh, that you have a, a very electric uh, lifestyle in terms of what you like. But So we'd like to know a little bit about your personal background before we get talking about anything else.
0: Sure. So, um, so I'm an engineer by training. I was a Ph.D. Um, in Stanford in the computer systems lab. And I was working on new uh, cloud technologies, um, and before that, I used to work at Google. And uh, what led me to start uh, the company called Sucasa was just uh, this simple question: of where are my files, or who can access my files?
1: And that's how you started. So pretty much, well, let's, let, let's frame let's frame the. Uh, uh, the situation uh, for our audience and the reason I brought you on. Right now, uh, small businesses are migrating to cloud in ever-increasing numbers. One of their big things is uh, security of what they're sending up there, both in terms of uh, protecting it from other people and just protecting it. Um, and, And that's what your product does. But tell us some of the problems facing uh, any, any small business going up into
0: the cloud. Sure, and, and these problems are especially acute for small businesses that um, don't have necessarily a lot of uh, resources or IT um, help um, to manage um, their, their, their data. So, so basically, um, um, a lot of the problems occur when people are using these new cloud services. Um, for example, uh, Dropbox is a famous one, or Gmail. Um, their data kind of of gets scattered around. Um, These services uh, save data on all of your different devices. Um, You can share really easily uh, with these services data with other businesses, uh, but then it's really hard to keep track of who can access my data and is there any sensitive data that is maybe being leaked um, or shared with someone that is not authorized to open it. And and that's really the problem that we set out to solve.
1: Well, how do you solve that problem?
0: So um, what Sukasa is, um, it's basically a service that anybody can um, go in and sign up.
1: For for our audience, you better spell it out.
0: Sure. So it's um, S-O-O-K-A-S-A. And anybody can um, actually go to our website and sign up. Any small business or even individual, and basically you can. What what Sucasa does is it will set up um, kind of a folder within your Dropbox account, um, where any file that you put into that folder will only be will be encrypted, so it'll be secure, and the only people that will be able to open that file will only be people that you explicitly authorize. Um, So if you're a small business, um, you can actually open up a team on Sucasa, and then you can guarantee that only the team or the immediate people you work with um, will be able to access company data.
1: And that's what it does?
0: That's that's basically what it does. Um, Now there's actually quite a bit of complex technology to make that happen. Um, So we have to do this encryption and access control Um, in real time, um, but from an end-user's perspective, um, as long as you're authorized to open the data, you don't even notice that it's encrypted. So it looks like a normal folder on your computer.
1: Okay. Um, Before we say anything, how did you come
0: up with the name? (laughs) Good question. Um, So it's, uh, you know, in Spanish, there's Mi Casa Su Casa, My Home is Your Home. Uh-huh. Um, so it's a knockoff of that, and the, the idea is so it's it's misspelled from Spanish, uh, which is kind of the all the rage with startups today is to misspell word, words. Um, but the idea is it's like your home in the cloud. Um, so it's it's a safe haven to to put your sensitive data without uh, with the ease of mind, you know, knowing that only the authorized people can can access it.
1: All right, that makes sense, well, but. Uh, it's interesting uh I'm fascinated as you say the names that people come up with uh for us older generation we still we still can't figure it out <laughs> but, but now well, hopefully um, it
0: will become a household name uh, soon enough
1: well so uh, I'm a small business I go and sign up on your site and um, uh, I put stuff in the cloud, but how do i how do i um give that information to someone else so they can access it.
0: Sure. So, it's, so the nice thing about our service is um, we, we are actually, we're, we just, we're kind of like a background service. It's kind of like an antivirus. Okay? So what you do is you'll sign up with our service, um, set up a team or, you know, set up a list of people that you trust. And after that, you can just use your favorite cloud service. So you can use Dropbox um, afterwards completely normally which is a really good service for small businesses for file collaboration and you can use all of its normal features. So you can share uh, documents through Dropbox you can send, uh, you can back up, you can synchronize documents across different computers and offices um, so you continue just using the normal Dropbox application and we take care of all the security in the background.
1: Well you know uh, uh, people are using things like Dropbox, but um, if you're a small business, uh, why not do everything internally on your your systems rather than than put everything up into the cloud?
0: That's a great question. Um, So um, it's a hassle, right? Um, So if you've ever tried to set up a file server, you know that it's a hassle and you need to maintain it and install it. And then I think... What's been a real game changer is um, the the, the kind of the the new mobile devices. So people really want to access data on mobile devices. Um, They want to be able to access data on the go Um, and these services make it really easy um, for you to always have the most up-to-date files on every one of your devices. Um, So I think that's what made these services really popular. And finally, on top of that, um, these services make it really easy to share data with other organizations. Um, And so a lot of our small businesses, for example, in healthcare and legal, um, they need to move a lot of data across with other organizations, not just with their customers. And uh, Dropbox is a great tool for doing that. Uh, You can create a shared folder, and then anything you put in there is going to be automatically shared. Um, with any with the other people that you 're sharing with
1: except in healthcare, we have something called HIPAA, and we 're all scared about it
0: exactly so that 's why we started well that 's actually one of the biggest reasons that people use Sucasa today um, is that we enable HIPAA compliance um, with Dropbox, um, so with our service you can actually you will be HIPAA compliant if you use it correctly um, and set it up on your team um, and there's actually a bunch of other compliance rules that we comply with, such as FERPA, that's, another, that's an education one. Um, and, um, and I think that's especially, so the security problems are especially uh, important in, in those types of industries um, where a small business now needs to grapple with these very complex compliance uh, laws. And, and a lot of small businesses are trying to figure out how do we keep uh, HIPAA compliance Um, while still using mobile devices and cloud services like Dropbox. And so Sucasa makes that really easy. Well,
1: let me ask you another question. But it seemed to me with all of this stuff going up into the cloud, we're all going to be vulnerable to these Russian hackers (laughs) uh, or Romanians or wherever they they are or Chinese. How, How do we protect ourselves against that?
0: That's a good question. So there's, you know, there's common sense things um, that are always a good idea. For example, setting strong passwords on your accounts, uh, probably not using the same password for every single online service that you have. Um, and then um, services like Sukasa will help you protect against hackers because with Sukasa um, the files are encrypted anywhere they go. Um, including on Dropbox's servers. So if someone tries to hack into Dropbox, um, they won't be able to open the files because they'll be encrypted by Sukasa. So it's an, air, a, an extra layer of protection um, against those types of attacks. Um, I'll tell you one thing, though. Most of our small businesses that, that use us, I think, are much more concerned about kind of mundane security issues for example, um, losing a smartphone in the airport or leaving their laptop in the car and the car getting broken into. Um, and those security problems actually happen probably a lot more frequently than some uh, clandestine foreign organization trying to attack your your uh, uh, account. And, and so um, I think we're good for helping both in the more mundane day-to-day security and compliance problems and in the... Uh, you know, more uh, sophisticated ones. Well,
1: why, why doesn't a Lockbox or, or, or any of them, um, um, I, I call it Lockbox or Box <laughs> or any of these, why don't they do that, um, offer that service themselves?
0: Good question. So, so they do offer, so it's not like their services don't have security. They're actually pretty good with security. It's just that um, they can't really control what happens to the files after they get shared or downloaded. Um, so the technology of kind of making sure the files are safe even after they leave Dropbox um, and get downloaded to your device, that, that's kind of beyond um, what they do. Um, and so that's kind of the hole that we fill. Um, so it's, just, well, it's, it's a very different problem.
1: Well, it's very interesting. Now you've made a, uh, you've clarified for me. So let me see if I'm hearing you correctly. What you're saying is, um, your encryption, you, you encrypt when you go up, you also encrypt when you go down, and, and unless you have the encryption on your side and uh, are a, a recognized user, the, the, uh, even if you steal, if you lose the laptop, uh, uh, you, uh, you can change that so you protect the files on that laptop. laptop. Did I read it, hear it right?
0: 100% correct. So the files are encrypted everywhere, including on your laptop, on the cloud, um, anywhere they go. And, uh, and what you said is exactly right. And we actually um, – and I think the, the device loss and theft is, is a really big driver for, for, for our business and, and something that a lot of small businesses worry about.
1: Well, it, it, it seems to me that uh, it's a, a logical extension, um, uh, well, I understand that you're just launching this week and uh, you've been in stealth mode for a while. Now you're launching in general. What's the, what is your website?
0: Um, so it's actually, it's just the name of the company, .com. So, um, so you go to sukasa, S-O-O-K-A-S-A, .com, and that's the website. And uh, you can sign up for, from there. We offer free trials. Um, and, um, and the price is $10 per month per, per user, so per person.
1: All right. Well, we wish you good good luck on this. It certainly seems it's a service that's needed. And uh, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll bring you back on uh, in a few months and see how, how you're doing. Thanks, Don. I'd love to. And thanks for the opportunity to talk to your audience. And th- thank you for coming on board. Thanks. Our next guest is Michael Barney. You know, everybody's talking about Kickstarter, but um, Michael has a very interesting story about Kickstarter and about perseverance. Michael, are you on board?
3: Yes, sir. Thanks Thanks for having having me, Don.
1: No, thank you for being here today. We always ask our guests first to say a little bit about themselves personally, how they got to where they are now and, and, and why they're on the program.
3: Well, um, I've been an eight-year entrepreneurial uh, in the aerospace industry. I've owned an aerospace technical writing company, and this is just kind of something a passion that I've always had in the fitness industry was working out and being a fitness enthusiast. I've always worked out, uh, you know, eight years in the military, played a lot of basketball. Um, so it's it's been a passion of mine, and so opening up this new company. Um, in the fitness realm has uh, been really exciting so far.
1: Well, but you but you first tried to start out by having a Kickstarter campaign, correct? That's
3: correct. Um, and what
1: happened? Well, the first Kickstarter
3: campaign I had uh, was a dismal failure. Um, I wasn't really familiar with Kickstarter. I just kind of launched it uh, thinking it would catch its own momentum and go on its own, That I really didn't need to have you know social media campaigns or um or PR or anything i just assumed my friends and family uh, would would carry it along with you know if people saw the momentum from that it would carry itself and um and of course i didn't do the right things that kickstarter says you should do you know um i i, I campaigned for 45 days as opposed to 30 i uh had a goal that was really unreasonable um And so uh, in the second Kickstarter campaign, we've we've fixed a lot of those issues.
1: Okay. Well, let's talk about it first. Um, When you say um, uh, uh, your campaign was too long, et cetera, let's go into a little bit of the detail. The reason I, one of the, main, one of the reasons I invited you on is we always hear about the successes, but we very seldom hear about somebody saying the, their failure. So I'd love for you to say a little bit more about that.
3: <laughs> okay. Um,
1: well, when you sign up for
3: Kickstarter, they have a guide, and it tells you basically how to set up your, your campaign. And uh, it's it's a pretty in-depth guide. And if you really follow the campaign or the guide that they provide for you, it will really help you out. Um, again, you know, having that headstrong, I can do it on my own, you know, attitude, I didn't really follow their advice. Um, one of the things they advise is that you run a campaign for 30 days. Um, anything more than that is just it's too much for, you know, the the, the people out there. Um, and the second thing they advise you is having a reasonable um, goal. I initially had a, a, a $20,000 goal, excuse me, a 80, I'm sorry, an $80,000 goal on mine because I thought I had to try and raise funds for all the molding and all the, the first production run and all this stuff. Um, really not thinking about it, I had already spent the money to do all the, the mold productions And I've already had spent the money for the first production run. So I really didn't need to recoup that cost. I just need to make something reasonable so people would see that, okay, if I do invest in this, then I will be able to get my reward. And and basically it's based off of um, when they invest money, they get a reward. You're not literally selling it to them. They get a reward. And basically the reward is the item that you're, you're campaigning on Kickstarter. So I had a. I had a good launch. I had a lot of people come on. um, In the end, um, at at the most, I had 120 people. In the end, we ended up with 92 because when people realize that it's not going to to, uh, completely fund, they start diving off the boat because they realize they're not going to get their product and it's really a waste of time for them. Um, And so there's a lot of things, there's a lot of little niches that you really have to pay attention to um, when you're doing this, another thing I didn't do was I didn't have any form of social media campaign. My social media campaign was me getting on the phone call on my friends and friends and family, and saying, "Hey guys, check out Kickstarter, go get one." And that worked. I mean, I got you know friends and family to to sign up. However, it didn't have the snowball effect that I thought it would have. I thought it would carry itself because it's a great product. And, what is and the product? The product. L- is L- Let Monster. me
1: inter- interrupt you right there. Yeah. Uh, uh, you've got my curiosity. What is the product? I should have asked the you that product. first.
3: <laughs>
1: the product is called the AbMonster.
3: Monster. Um, AbMonster is the first fully unrestricted, multi-directional
1: core workout device available. Um, oh, wait a, it's a second. similar. Wait, wait. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a jock like you. You have got to tell me a little bit more detail than that.
3: Okay. Um, you remember
1: years ago they came out
3: with a product called the ab wheel basically it was a lawnmower wheel with handlebar on it
1: yeah
0: okay
3: well it was a great product but the problem with that is it only allows you linear motion you could only go front and back with it forward and backward okay you couldn't go from side to side to work your oblique muscles it was great for your your abdominal muscles and some of your core muscles but you couldn't work everything um and so then another product came out called the abdali. And basically the abdali was a piece of plywood with four casters on it. And you would get in a plank position, which is like on your elbows, like, a, like a, a modified push-up position, but you're on your elbows instead. And you'd put your knees or you'd put your feet on the abdali, and you would crunch in or extend out, or you could work your obliques from side to side. The problem with the abdali, although it was a great device, was when you transitioned from one direction to the next, it would give you this jerking motion because the casters would have to turn and catch up with the motion. So it would jerk. Well, I wanted to combine the two, the ab wheel and the ab dolly. And what I came up with was the ab monster. And it's based, instead of having wheels, it has a ball, and it rotates on all axes because it has no axle running through the middle of it. So now you have a device that can move in all directions, and you can really get deep oblique crunches with it, but you can really intensify your workout because you can also strap it onto your knees and, again, get in that plank position and do crunches and oblique crunches um, from from your elbows. Um, So it's a very versatile and diverse piece of equipment. Um, There's nothing out there on the market yet like it, um, which is exciting for me, because uh, I personally think that this thing's just going to explode when, once we get it out.
1: Do you have it patented?
3: Yes, it is patented. I patented it uh, January of 2013 is when my patent got approved.
1: All right. Congratulations. I always Thank ask you. that because a lot of small businesses forget to patent uh, Oh, yeah, that was one of the first things we, we, in fact,
3: before we did anything, we we got our designs together and we we applied for the patent. And then while we were patent pending, we started working on the other items. Um, And one of the things we've just recently uh, applied for was the trademark. So um, we applied for the trademark about three months ago. So the name Ab Monster itself will be trademarked.
1: By the way, that's a great name. Thank you. Uh, Great name. Scare your abs. (laughs) I'm sorry? Scare your abs
3: with the ab monster. <laughs> yes.
1: Well, uh, when you say we, uh, how many people in your company are, w- are with you?
3: Well, there's. The, I say we a lot. Me, myself, and I.
1: Um,
3: <laughs> so I'm, I have all the hats. Um, I did hire uh, some people on uh, to help me out with the design uh, concept. In fact, RSB International was the, the uh, engineering design firm that I hired to bring my conceptual drawings to the look that it has today with the exoskeleton, which is really a, a very sharp look to it. Um, and um, they they really took it from a boxy look to a very sleek and appealing design.
1: Well, you've got you have to send a picture. We'll put it up on on, on with this. Uh with this uh, program so people can see what t- you're talking about.
3: Absolutely. I'll get that straight over to you when uh, we get off.
1: Okay. So now uh, you have a, a bad Kickstarter, but now you have a good Kickstarter campaign. Am I right?
3: Well, I'm, I'm starting the Kickstarter May 1st. We, what we've done is we're strategically placing it um, on, for May 1st because May is Exercise the National Exercise Fitness Month. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to coincide with you know National Fitness Month um, for the campaign. And now, of course, I've got a PR company uh, that I hired on, and I've also hired a social media company that are running different campaigns um, to try and, and give us a boost. But I've also put a reasonable goal in there. Um, this time, instead of having a $80,000 goal. My goal is only $1,500, and the reason I put it down as low as it is is because the money's not necessarily needed to do the first production run or create the molds because I've already expended that. What I wanted to do was get the product out there in people's hands um, so they could actually give me some feedback based off of mm-hmm. their, you know, their experience with it. And when you have a goal at $1,500, people look at that and they say, this will fund. So I'm going to go ahead and fund, it, and fund it because I know I'll get a piece of the action. I'll get my product. Um, when you make that goal is high, is I, yeah, fifteen hundred dollars is my goal, and um, I know I'll I should be able to reach that in in a couple
1: hours of the campaign being open. Right. All right. That's a big difference, fifteen hundred to eighty thousand.
3: Well, the difference was I had already funded that money, and I wasn't really thinking about. The amount, I was thinking at the time, I, I need to make this back to, to offset my cost. Um, but I was looking at it in the wrong way. When you put a high goal up there, you really run people off, and it scares them away from the program. If you keep a reasonable goal in place, um, and I'm not saying everyone needs to put it at $1,500 or, or lower. I'm just saying that I had already funded my molds. I had already funded my first production run. So I didn't need you know, to to throw a huge goal out there because we've already funded that. What we're looking to do is just get the product in people's hands so we can get feedback, and that's what we want right now is we want feedback. I've got some um, really good endorsements, um, and I'm working on getting more endorsements, and um, hopefully we'll uh, get this thing to explode.
1: Well, you've been amazingly candid about both uh, your success and your failure, uh, which we appreciate. Very few people come on and admit they fail first. But as Winston Churchill said, success is, a, is a overcoming a series of failures.
3: Um, and that's well, and, and true. And I'm in hopes that you know people will hear this and they'll realize you know, not you know, and not make the same mistakes I made. You know, because um, those mistakes can be costly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Were you lucky you had enough? Do you still have your other business, or are you devoting yourself 100% to this business?
3: I'm uh, I'm one 100% devoted to this now. Um, the aerospace company was sold off a couple of years ago, so I could focus um, primarily on this.
1: Um, are you enjoying it?
3: Actually, you know, it's addictive. Um, I, know it's, and I know a lot of people will be able to relate to this, not everybody, but you know you get sometimes as a kid you get that video game that you just can't put down and you absolutely refuse to quit and give up on it until you've achieved all the levels and beaten everything within that game and then you know you've conquered it well that's the way I feel with this project um, i have I am so tuned into it now and I've learned from a lot of my earlier mistakes um, that uh, it, it's addictive and yeah, you know, I spend right now anywhere from you know 13 to 16 hours a day working on this, and uh, you know, got a, <laughs> wife's not exactly happy about that, but she's she's coming up, she's coming around.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, behind uh, we have to keep the wives happy because uh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> where are you located?
3: Uh, right now, we're in Edgemont, Pennsylvania. Hmm. Um, it's just outside of Philly.
1: Hmm. Uh, do you intend to try to sell it to uh, uh, fitness chains and people like that? How do you expect to sell it?
3: Well, our goals, are, are, our marketing goals are, or selling goals are twofold. Um, we're initially going to start July 1st will be when we open up um, for sale. Um, we'll have the website available. The website's available now, but the actual purchase side of the website will be available July 1st. What's um, the website? The website is abmonster.co.co. So it's abmonster.co. Um, we have we were able to obtain the .com. We're just waiting on it to uh, come through. It, so eventually it'll be .com. But right now it's abmonster.co. And uh, okay. when you go on there, you'll be able to see we have uh, endorsements by some former NFLers. Um, we've got... Uh, well, right now, just one NFL, I've got another endorsement from Steve Avery coming in. He's going to introduce me to some other guys that uh, we're going to give some am- app monsters to so we can, uh, you know, get some more endorsements. But I've got uh, a couple, one um, fitness competitor um, that's given us an endorsement, and I've got an exercise physiologist and trainer that's uh, given us an endorsement. Um, so...
1: Are you we, paying for these endorsements, or are they no. just doing
3: it? No. Okay. I, I I sent them an ad monster and said, uh, what do you think? And uh, they came back, and they, they loved it, and they wrote up a nice little, you know, comments on it. And, and uh, I said, well, can I use that as an endorsement? They said, absolutely. I said, okay. <laughs> so I sent them release forms, and there you have it.
1: I was just going to ask you. Uh, and that's uh, something our audience should really know. You, you Make sure you get the release form before you do anything.
3: Oh, absolutely, will, because
1: the, otherwise they might want to come back later and charge you if it
3: uh, becomes successful. <laughs> but, uh, you know, basically the release form just states that they're not a spokesperson for the company and they don't represent the product and no liabilities can be held against them, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's a lot of legal mumbo-jumbo, but it's a very important piece of document that... Uh, needs to be produced um, and then you'll also see on there we've partnered with um, Chris Johnson of on target living um, he handles uh, our nutrition um, Chris is a nationally renowned speaker on lifestyle changes nutrition fitness health um, he goes around into a lot of large corporate entities and does you know you know motivational speaking if you will um, he explains um, you know, how to get out of the rut, how to, you know, get on the right path of, you know, eating healthy and getting the proper amount of rest and exercise to stay healthy. Um, the man's 50 years old, 51 years old, and he just finished competing in a um, a uh, bodybuilding contest a few months ago. He's in phenomenal shape. And uh, so we've partnered with him. We've got his book on our website, <clears throat> Um, that once you purchase the Ab Monster, you'll be able to access um, excerpts from it, you know, some of the more important excerpts from his book uh, called On Target Living. And uh, if you desire to purchase your own copy, there's a link to his website where you can get it. And we we have a charity that we've partnered with, too. Um, we're still working on the, the legal aspect of it, so I can't disclose who that charity is. I can tell you it's a charity for kids. And it's a and the charity's um, driven towards educating our kids on healthy lifestyles. Uh, so if we can get them young, train them young on how to eat healthy and exercise, and you know make the right decisions as a kid, then as you grow up, you that you, you'll continue that pattern. Um, so the whole thing is we're trying to combat childhood obesity and and the the, the uh, diseases that are associated with it. You know like diabetes and what have.
1: You should send one to the White House. You might get the first lady's endorsement,
3: <laughs> possibly. <laughs> so well,
1: that's her big issue. So um, you know. The, yeah, it, it is. It,
3: she, she's big into fitness, absolutely, and child. Well, childhood healthcare primarily.
1: Yes. Well, you know, uh, you've been very, very forthcoming. I know uh, our audience, uh, I certainly learned a lot. And uh, uh, we wish you good luck. And uh, I'm going to uh, ask you to uh, put in the book to uh, let us know after you launch. Um, and uh, if you've got an extra one, send one to me. I, I sure as I could use one, though I'm a lot <laughs> older than you are.
3: Absolutely. I'd be happy to. And thank you well, again for having me on the show, Don.
1: No, you, you've been very forthcoming. And uh, um, I, I know our audience learned a lot. And uh, again, your website. It's AppMonster. Co. Well, um, I really, really um, um, is it Michael or Mike?
3: Uh, I you know just don't call me late for dinner. I don't care.
1: <laughs> well, Michael, I really appreciate you coming on board today, and uh, we wish you good luck. And thank and, you so much. Uh, thank you. And don't forget to send me the picture so we can put it up there.
3: I'm going to do that right now as
1: soon as we get off. Have a nice day. All right. Thank you, Don. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience and profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.